Welcome to This Week in Church History. We're grateful you joined us for a wide-ranging conversation about events in the history of the church. Here are our hosts, Dr. Michael McMullen and John Mark Yates. Welcome to This Week in Church History, and we'll start off by saying Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. It is uh, our annual Christmas special. If you are a relatively new listener, we would encourage you to go back to uh, last December in our podcast history, and uh, you can listen to a great episode where we talk about uh, a number of things like the dating of Christmas. Why did we settle on uh, December 25th? We talked about uh, how Christmas itself uh, got tied with Advent and these other things, and we talked about the origins of, well, Sir Santa Claus. Hmm. So those are all fun things to find out about. Uh, surely there can't be anything left to say. Oh, but there is. Oh. But wait, there's more. So we will start uh, today, though, first with a uh, brief apology. Uh, we've been uh, not updating our episodes uh, for a bit, uh, thanks to a small bout of COVID on my part. Uh, my co-host uh, also enjoying uh, international travel, as a world-renowned historian does. And uh, so we've not been around the recording studio to stop and uh, record any episodes. I had to go to England to try and renew my accent. <laughs> well, we know that that's uh, a very important thing, and we appreciate that. Mm. So uh, thank you. It's it's so good. So uh, ultimately, listener, this will be our final episode. We'll look forward to joining for season three starting in. Uh, the new year. Uh, so this will be the, our last episode and we'll have a small break. Uh, if you want, as we are talking about uh, Christmas, there should be no spoilers for young ears. Last season with our talk of uh, St. Nicholas, we made sure that you uh, wanted to uh, maybe redirect them to another room if that's part of your holiday tradition. But this year, I think we're going to talk about Christmas trees. And other things, and other which things. maybe you don't want children to hear about. The Krampus. Oh. We promised last season the Krampus. We have to talk about the Krampus. So a lot of what we're going to talk about today actually all comes from Germany. It all has German roots and uh, are part of Christian tradition, actually, for uh, years and years. So uh, we'll start off uh, by a small disclaimer there. I, I know that growing up... Uh, Christmas trees were always something that we had in my home. Uh, in my house right now, my wife has uh, four Christmas trees set up in the house um, uh, in different places. Those are all fairly large. Each of the kids also have small trees in their rooms. How many trees do you have set up in your house, Mike? Zero. Zero. What's wrong with you? Are they uh, Grinch? Some of us have been too busy teaching oh, I and grading. And international travel. Well, there is that too. <laughs> I didn't have anything to do during uh, COVID, so we decorated the house. <laughs> That's the way those things work, right? Uh, but I follow the Old Testament where you're not supposed to be dragging trees in and decorating them. Shh, it don't says say that. that in Jeremiah. Okay. Did, did you bring the Jeremiah text into yes. here? All right. Give us the Jeremiah text because all of us may be burning our trees now. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to your house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the Gentiles. Do not be dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. For the customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. 
They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammers so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot go by themselves. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. So, are yours decorated with uh, silver and gold? Yeah, and they do have a stand. Mm, yeah. Well, maybe I get off because uh, off of the uh, the whole restrictions here because I have artificial trees. Oh, maybe that's that that's helps. It. So, for listener, if you're, if you're listening, that was Jeremiah ten one through five, and uh, it is an interesting text that does feature into our story somewhat because through church history, uh, we we talk about the idea of a Christmas tree. It is a actually a very old tradition that dates back to the eighth century. And uh, there have been those who've used this text at different seasons uh, to argue that there is no business in our homes for a Christmas tree. And of course, it's an encouragement to all of us to read and interpret Scripture correctly. Correct. And of course, we're not turning the tree, hopefully, into an idol that we worship. It's not a family altar that we're creating but it's a remembrance of life and celebration and uh, and and what christmas stands for the fact of this uh, coming of christ so it, it's not an idol that we're worshiping well and if we go to the history of the christmas tree and we go back to boniface and we want to blame him for this this actually could be a reminder of breaking down idols so if you go back to the 8th century boniface or Winifred from England, uh, who was the great uh, evangelist and missionary to the Germans, uh, was well aware that as he was doing work within the region and territory of Bavaria, that there were these pagan practices that happened every winter. And uh, the story is told of uh, of one village in uh, particular uh, that uh, he observed a a tradition that they had in the in this town of in this village of Geismar, where every winter the pagans would gather around a huge oak tree called the Thunder Oak. Do you know why? It was dedicated to Thor. To Thor. <laughs> to Thor. So all of you Marvel fans, kind of uh, you know, based on that, but it was dedicated to Thor, and so this huge oak was there in the city, uh, in the town. And during this winter celebration uh, around the winter solstice, the townspeople would actually sacrifice a child to appease the god of thunder so that they wouldn't have bad storms in the coming year. So Boniface uh, saw this as a believer and said, uh, this is an absolute horrific practice. And so the story, and I just love this story, the story goes that uh, it actually fell on a Christmas Eve, the solstice that year, and the village had gathered together and Boniface goes into the town with some of his friends in the middle of their celebration and yells out, here is the Thunder Oak. And then he raises up a cross and he goes, here is the cross of Christ that shall break the hammer of the false god Thor. And then he and his friends pull out axes and cut down the tree in the middle of their celebration. <laughs> Yeah, he. I think Boniface was a, a missionary of action, <laughs> to put it mildly, and and this confirmed his desire to be a missionary and a force for change in Germany. 
Absolutely. So the story goes that as this tree falls, the, the crowd is just dumbfounded, speechless. They have no idea what to do because here comes this crazy Englishman who has now cut down their tree. And the story goes that there was a small fir that had been growing right at the base of this big oak. And so when the tree was cut down, you, you could just see this small fir tree uh, very clearly. And Boniface is reported by his historian of saying this. He said, this little tree, a young child of the forest, shall be your holy tree tonight. It is the wood of peace. It is the sign of an endless life, for its leaves are evergreen. See how it points up towards heaven? Let this be called the tree of the Christ child. Gather about it, not in the wild wood, but in your own homes. There it will be shelter, no deeds of blood, but loving gifts and rites of kindness. And from there, he goes on and shares the gospel. And what we know from that point is he baptizes eventually within the coming year almost every single person in that village. It's an incredible story. Um. Even his, you know, the account of his death, he, he's killed later by... Another you know, group of angry pagans. <laughs> a, a marauding group of pagans. But he's found with this book, the, the only weapon he had, and uh, it's got slashes in it from where they were attacked. Yeah. Ambrose's, you know, uh, The Victory of Death. Yeah. Um. And, and, you know, that book still exists. You can see that in Germany. I mean, it, it's a wonderful story. Yeah, it, it, of redeeming, of, of radical action, number one, but then seeing this fur and then replacing a pagan myth and pointing people to Jesus. Mm-hmm. So this becomes this, this sign of, of how to remember Christ. Uh, later tradition would kind of go on and build on that, that the fir tree and its triangular shape would become a easy means by which fathers and families could uh, help explain the Trinity. Mm. Yeah, And uh, this is how, according to tradition, Martin Luther also used, who mm-hmm. loved Christmas time and especially the family components of it, uh, according to stories around uh, his life as well, all the way we get up to the 16th century, uh, one night, he and his wife are out walking, and they see this fir tree, like in, in sharp relief on the on the horizon. The stars are coming out, and, and he sees this, and it was so beautiful. Um, but he didn't know that he'd have the words to describe the beauty to his children, so he cut the tree down, oh. drug it into his home, mm-hmm. and put candles on it uh, to light it so that they could catch the beauty, and then used it from that point to teach about how Jesus came to give everlasting light, uh, and that these candles represented the stars under which he was born. And so he used it as a teaching tool to teach about the incarnation. And and it's probably Boniface and Luther and others um, that are why the Christmas tree um, it is such a kind of an important thing within Germany and Austria and that mm-hmm. area. Well, and then those same German uh, immigrants who came to the United States and settled throughout also brought that same tradition with them uh, very much so early in American history so that we still had a continuity of practice uh, even in the United States where probably some of these Christmas traditions are even more uh, pronounced, perhaps. And, and, you know, with the coming of Albert to Queen Victoria, then the traditions make it to England and become so common from 
their example there. So what we're saying is that it's all the Germans' fault. Uh, it's all the German, Germanic influence. Oh, okay, okay. So when we start talking about this, and, and this is a great segue, perhaps, uh, of talking about uh, more modern Christmas, which really has its roots in Victorian England. And so you talk about Albert and, and Queen Victoria. Well, this tie between uh, Germany and British practice, how does the Victorian era give birth to so many of our modern Christmas practices like Christmas cards and ornaments and other kinds of things. I think, you know, Victoria and Albert were such a reported couple. Um, the media would report on their practice, what they did, their example. And, and as we say, Albert brought so many traditions with him into England, and, and the couple celebrated so many of these much more in public than ever before, mm -hmm. and it caught the imagination of British people. And, and so with writers like Charles Dickens and others, so many traditions become popularized and, and common. So eating turkey at Christmas, the family meal, the, the giving of gifts at a particular time, um, even the practice of Boxing Day, which we have in Britain, um, even though people are not certain, probably derives from this period too or of the wealthier with their servants and, and giving them a gift on the day after Christmas when they return to their families for a, a little while. Mm -hmm. I, I love this, uh, this statement. Uh, I found this quote from Albert when he writes back to his dad uh, saying, you know, uh, all these traditions that I may not have enjoyed as as a, as a young man. He, he said this today, I have two young children of my own to make gifts to who they know not why are full of happy wonder at the German Christmas tree and its radiant candles. Oh, that's wonderful. Isn't that great? Yes. I mean, he's, he's talking about that. Uh, Queen Victoria uh, later wrote in her journal saying to think that we have two children and one who enjoys the sight already of the Christmas tree is like a dream. Mm. There's this romantic. Yes feeling of family and Christmas trees that just almost epitomizes the entire aspect of the Victorian period. Yes. A very kind of romantic image of how things were. And of course, you're in the midst of, of, of great disparity between the wealth and, and the poverty, especially in England at that point. But it, it kind of fosters a, a lot of the writing that you have in people like Dickens. So you know, Dickens, too, is credited a great deal with kind of establishing or creating or promoting the Christmas that becomes popular. So how do we get this idea of ornaments, though? Why? Why? OK, so we got a, a tree that makes maybe sense and we've put it in the house. We've we put candles on it. I can't imagine how many fires they had mm -hmm. uh, with. With fitting candles, thinking us for uh, lights. Oh, but trees are not inflammatory. Are they? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we can only imagine how many houses may have gone up uh, that way. But uh, ornaments, why, why ornaments? Why would we put things on the tree? Oh, but it's great for memories. It, it's a great pointer to, to different th things that we'd like to remember and speak of and share. So one of the, the traditions uh, in Germany, it's actually kind of coming back uh, to be popular right now it is was an upside down Christmas tree, mm. and they would hang the trees from the rafters, the exposed rafters of the living room, and that tree shape would maintain that Trinity. They would use that to teach Trinity, but then they would hang 
discs of basically cookie dough mm-hmm. that had been baked or, or whatever that were ornaments uh, that were meant to look like the host that you received at Christmas Mass. Oh. And the idea was there it was a reminder of Jesus not only in his incarnation, but also the reason why he came to give his to give his body. But that practice eventually came to have people placed in the Victorian period um, just so many more things on the tree that right. had personal significance yeah. or or other pieces, often made with paper and mm. uh, their own little crafting of this or that or things that they would remember throughout the year. And uh, so it's it's only later that this catches on in this late Victorian period to where stores catch on that we can uh, commercialize this and we can make ornaments well, and we can sell ornaments. And, and of course, uh, in the early Victorian period, even in the middle Victorian period, um, for many families, there isn't the luxury of a disposable income on which you can buy ornaments for a tree. Right. So, so much is handmade. Right. And, and even the, the family of, of Victorian Albert, many of them, when gifts were exchanged, and what really w- was desired were gifts that were handmade by the children and the grandchildren. In uh, Indianapolis, at uh, the, the historic home that's there, from those who helped start the Eli Lilly Company um, there in, in, in Indianapolis, they have preserved, and you can go into it at Christmas time, uh, some of the, the handmade things mm. that they would do. And many of their rooms, they have these ornate pictures from the uh, late 19th century, the rooms decorated with just loops of paper hooked together, yes. creating these long ornamental chains throughout the room of different colored paper and different kinds of things. And so uh, oftentimes at wintertime, they'll do a big winter celebration there and they'll redecorate Uh those rooms based on uh, historical photos that they have of how they would string these throughout the house. So here's a family that had unbelievable wealth. And yet this was still how they were choosing to portray uh, the Christmas uh, season of of keeping this tradition of these Yeah, and those paper chains was the way that our family and many others uh, would decorate the whole house for Christmas. And as you say, it would run throughout the house. Did you guys have Christmas crackers? We don't uh, do crackers too much in, in the United States unless it's uh, like... Yes, we had Christmas, Christmas crackers. And I see they're getting more popular here now. Uh, you would pull the cracker and it would snap and there would be a toy inside and then a paper hat, which you would put on and look like <laughs> a, a clown. But... Um, they were very common, and, and uh, everybody would be desperate to pull a cracker with someone. Until I studied in England, I had never heard of a Christmas cracker outside of the things that were placed around the table along with a cheese ball or something mm. that you ate. Oh, not, yes. not something that yes. snapped oh, and no, made noise. Oh, no, it's a great part of Christmas in England. <laughs> yeah. Did you celebrate Christmas crackers when your kids were young? Uh, yes, yes. Absolutely. Now, we had to get them from England, but now you can at least buy them here. That's fantastic. I just love it. I love it. All right, so we've talked about Christmas trees, the way that it was used to actually teach theology and to help uh, raise families and and knowledge and faith of the Lord. Um, But also from Germany, there was this other tradition. I think think that's all, really, isn't it? We need to mention there. Is it? Is it? We have just a few minutes left. I think it's worth talking about. it's so scary. About the anti-Santa. Oh, he's so scary. Yeah, so— 
We we talked last season about uh, Santa Claus, and again, if you're not familiar with the story of Santa Claus and everything that's there, we would really encourage you to go back and listen to that. It is a fantastic story uh, about uh, how this works. But uh, in Germany, according to German tradition, um, and basically uh, tied probably to some of the same pagan uh, situations that Boniface was addressing, uh, there is a creature uh, known as Krampus. Yeah, and again, like you say, it's a winter solstice uh, celebration or idea or fear or something. Uh, the Alpine areas, you know, Germany, Austria um, seems to be fairly common mm -hmm. there. And uh, it, it just terrifying to me, the whole idea. Yeah, so Krampus is the son of hell, the Norse god of the underworld. And uh, here at this time, he would take... Uh, children who were naughty, and he would beat them with sticks. Yeah, I mean, or even take them to hell. Um, yep. You know, we're, we're, used, to the, we're <laughs> used to the idea of, of a bag of coal, maybe, <laughs> if you've not been good. But, uh, you know, there in Austria, Germany, uh, you're getting dragged off by this kind of half-man, half-goat yep. creature, um, uh, which is just terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying when you start reading it. In fact, there's been a few little films uh, that are uh, horror films based kind of on the idea of Krampus. But even in the more modernized, softer version, he's you've got Santa who rewards the the good children, and then you've got Krampus who's coming to. Yeah, I think this <laughs> this helps us understand Germanic peoples uh, a fair bit, really. Um, it, 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 you know. Is it was it an encouragement simply to try and get children to behave themselves? Um, I'm sure that played a part in it. He sees when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. Yeah, and right? then this he the comes Santa for thing, you if then... you're bad. Uh, you know. <laughs> Can you imagine Krampus at the North Pole? And it's like Santa just gives him the naughty list, and it's like these are for you. Yes, I've got these other ones. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, maybe it would work to um, temper children's behavior. Maybe we, we need to have a new uh, Christmas movie to to put all this together. I, I honestly do find that the whole story in this this alternate kind of uh, idea uh, of a uh, of this Krampus uh, chasing children down, especially when we've made Santa Claus out to be way more than than uh, what he was what um, what he was originally intended. Uh, to kind of be, I love the idea in in Germany of some of their um, Krampuslaufs, the uh, the Krampus runs. Yes, where uh, <clears throat> people dress as Krampus, uh, go through the street, scaring people, chasing people, <laughs> running I, them down. <laughs> I suppose you know we have Halloween, so maybe we can't judge too harshly. <laughs> but with the emphasis on you know. Chasing children and scaring them, it just seemed even f far more removed from, you know, that. Well, there you go. Maybe that's what we all need to introduce into our family uh, Christmas traditions this year is that of the Krampus. But again, isn't it part of, you know, the whole thing about Christmas that there is um, a story, there is good and there is yeah. evil and a savior has come and there really is a force for evil in the world. We have a spiritual enemy. That's exactly and, right. and maybe deep down in people, this is part of that remembrance. Even those who don't yet know Christ, they have a sense of good and evil. 
that is a great way to end our Christmas special. We hope that you've enjoyed uh, a, a rambling conversation here about Christmas trees, Victorian Christmas, and the anti-Santa. <laughs> we do hope that you have a happy Christmas, listeners, and we do trust that we uh, that you will have a happy new year, and we will see you, Lord willing, in 2022.